Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we come to you with Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological manner. Uh, this week we are coming to you with our uh, third or fourth part. I don't know what we're at anymore. Um, we're our nth part of 0083. We are covering episodes 8 and 9 and 10. Um, and I spec- I break them out that way for a reason. And we'll talk about that as we go through. Uh, but we have with us today, Scotty P. So the director that stops at episode seven, uh, because we have a director change here, the, the director of the first seven episodes of this series also created a show called Restaurante Paradiso, uh, which is not a fun food and cooking show like, you know, Food Wars or Restaurant from Another World or anything like that. In fact, it's barely about cooking at all. My wife watched this show a little bit, and it's mostly about an older woman that works at a restaurant that's really into older men. And we have Luke. It's I'm, I'm having like Ishizoku reviewers flashbacks now, based off of that description. <laughs> I thought I thought that was about like monster girls, not older men. There's a part in the first episode where the elf is talking about how he likes old human women. Oh, you watched, you actually watched an episode. Are, are you uh, talking about this animation canceled? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, by the way, quick, uh, quick uh, tangent. They, they didn't cancel. Uh, what, what do they have on there? They have um, Goblin Slayer. A lot of people were pissed off about that. Did they have Shield Hero? They didn't cancel that if that was on there. I think, I think they do have Shield Hero. Like that's like pro slavery and all that, and all that, like false rape claims and all that shit. And then, oh, I banged an elf. Oh God, no! Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> let's go. Well, I, I mean, I, to be fair, I think the the whole premise is like so, I haven't seen it, but the summary of the premise was basically like these guys travel from town to town and try to taste out new races. And yeah, they go so, they they go to all the brothels and try the and they review the different species from a. Well, you know, you get what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it, but from reading some of the comments, it was like, no, no, the premise isn't really the problem. The story is not the problem. Uh, apparently, the problem is it's basically hentai. <laughs> How do you not, like... It's not quite there, but it's, like, right there. How do you not know that before you sign, like, some corporate translation agreement? Like, I feel like the basic thing should be reviewed by the lawyers and like some lawyers going to read like, ah, yes. So this, this young man travels from city to city and trust out the brothels and reviews the different races of uh, women two, that he meets two, with. Two and a half young men. Just on that. Oh, out there. Sorry. Look, do you think those lawyers really know what a, a Lamia girl is? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't know what a Lamia girl is. A snake girl. Snake girl uh, okay. 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 Oh, like Lamy. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So uh, apparently, all the voice actors and actresses got in, started doing the show, and they're like, "I don't want to do this anymore." <laughs> <laughs> which, which also begs the question: Like, do these people get the fucking summaries before they agree to do something, or do they show well, up they one probably, day and they're they like, "Probably got." They probably got um, uh, like an adventuring party travels uh, from fantasy town to fantasy town, reviewing their their. Uh, Social socioeconomic experiences like that's probably <laughs> what it was and they're like you want to play do you want to play a cat girl well sure i'll play a cat girl all right here's your first page it's like wait wait wait. wait. it says i'm getting fucked from behind 
by a, by a hermaphrodite angel. <laughs> yeah, you uh, I need to make sure I hit the explicit Sign. button on today's episode. I normally do, anyways, but today yeah, they, the contract they, they crank they crank the dubs out so fast now. Like I can They're totally only like understand. Behind. Yeah, it's not bad. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, Gundam. So, Jabra. Jabra. So as I promised in, in the last episode with you guys, um, and I, I think both of you uh, were skeptical of my promise, I actually watched the second half of the show in English. And yep. I heard the terrible translations. <laughs> <laughs> they're good. They're good. Terrible translations, though. They're fun. Terrible translations. Yeah, I mean, it's just the pronunciation more than the translation. But that's, um, that's what I mean. Is that just there's so many things pronounced differently than the rest of the entirety of the series that it, yeah. it, it's enough to drive me nuts. And it's like important stuff like Jabrow, yeah. Jabrow, Von Brown, Von Brown. Yeah. Von Brown. <laughs> I really enjoyed Sima. Shema, Shuma. Yeah, we can't decide. <laughs> so they, I, I read the novelization of the original Mobile Suit Gundam series. I just finished it yesterday, and at the end is a note from the, when I, like a short few pages from the translator. And this is the 2012 edition. That's the latest one that you can actually like, you know, buy on Amazon or write stuff or wherever. And he had a note in there about how when they did the re-release in the i think it was like the late 90s or early 2000s he got some feedback on the internet about the book and it was about how someone was really you know emailed him or messaged him saying he was so excited and went out the first date was available and picked it up and that he ruined everything by spelling char uh, s-h-a <laughs> which is which was a result of the, the translation right so the first translation was in like the late 80s early 90s and they th there was no gundam stuff ever brought to america so this translator was just working with whatever little teeny bit of like gunpla instruction manual notes and stuff that had been translated into english um, officially and then just trying to work with you know matching up okay i can't just phonetically write out the katakana like try to make it sound right. Um, but then, you know, 10 years later, there's actual official things at that point yeah. and whatnot. And uh, I was like, wow, yeah. I, I would have almost been on the internet for decades. I would have almost been tempted if it were me translating it to translate it to Scar based off of like the story, like reading the story and, and how it handles him actually having a scar on his face in the book. Hmm. But then who plays Mufasa? <laughs> it's James Earl Jones, man. It's always James yeah. Earl Jones. Well, you know, you know, the thing with Char that gets me is it's it's uh, it trips me up a little bit because for one, it's the name of the planet where the Decepticons put their base in season three of the original Generation One series, and it's also the Japanese name for Transformers character Cup. 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 Cup is his English name. Oh, okay. <laughs> Makes with, sense. With a K. Oh, you know, my friend actually used to bring a his cup toy around to uh, every convention. He brought his G1 cup toy. And anytime he could, he would find a pair of girls to pose with it and take their picture. 
Um, it was he has a whole like album it's called two girls one cup and it's you know cup with a k that's and i mean yeah that's yep. funny and, he, oh, and he's a gay man. dude so like he'll go up to he would just go up to these total strangers or like you know waiters at a restaurant or something and like just be fearless because you know, he's not trying to hit on him he wants their picture for cup for the holes what happened to this episode i'm sorry um, so one thing uh, we should, we should mention before we get in there is, um, get into everything is the first half of the show is, has one director and the second half of the show has a different director and you notice a very substantial tone change, um, yeah. for them. Um, the first, the first half of 83 is, um, very lighthearted, very kind of, um, I don't know. I I, I want to use slice of life, but I don't feel like that's quite right. Like it's almost a slice of life show. Um, with you know, we're chasing we're chasing like this mobile suit and everything like that, but we're also having fun with it at the same time. Whereas the second half of the show very much is like darker and you know more spacey and really like even though it's you know episodes. Uh, eight through 13, it only feels like it's about one, two, three, four episodes. So, um, because a lot of the episodes are kind of like, um, nine and 10 feel like a long episode and 11 to 12 feel like a long episode. Um, so it's, it's a different writing style than you get in the first half of the show. It's not that the first seven are light on plot by any means, but it definitely goes from being more character driven to almost entirely plot driven. You don't, you don't get them in the cafeteria shooting the shit anymore. Right. You don't get any more Kelly Lazner episodes. Right. So with that said, let's jump into episode eight with our new director. Um, We find out that there is a Naval review for the Federation forces that are, that it's coming up soon. Um, I don't know if they mention it right here, but um, essentially the um, their ship can't make it to this naval review because uh, they're chasing the Delaz fleet, so they're kind of like excluded from the naval review. Um, but they do get to see they they see the Birmingham, uh, which is. Uh, run by Admiral Green, and I think the Birmingham is supposed to be kind of like this massive battleship. It's like a they they call it a Birmingham class ship, but they also call it the Birmingham at a at one point. So I I think it is the Birmingham, and it's just like a larger class ship. But yeah, um, I think that was just a miss, like a miss, uh, not mistranslation or like a misrepresentation in the translation or something. But. Yeah, so but but it's definitely a, like a larger class type ship than the. Um, it, it's not a Pegasus class ship. It's a, a larger version of that, I think. Um, but we also see now Co is um, doing some space training, and he actually is able to beat Lieutenant Burning. So Burning is still piloting his ship. His his cast is still off. Um, this this episode it it does a lot of there's a lot of focus on burning and it, it's mm-hmm. it's very much um, like you start watching this and you know something's going to happen to burning so I'm not gonna I, it's not a spoiler to say this is very much like 
you know, a Game of Thrones type episode where it's like, ah, oh, we're learning the backstory of this person. We know something bad is going to happen to this person. Death flags. Yeah. Um, I looked up the Birmingham. I'm sorry to go back and. and no, no, no worries. Talk, but it looks like there was really only one maid, which is why they called it the Birmingham. It was a Birmingham class ship, but they only made one. Mm. Hmm. Uh, because it only appears in 0083. And I'm at the, yes, I'm just reading through the wiki page because it's all I had time to do. Um, it looks like the Dogo skier in Zeta is similar to it, but not like exactly the same ship. And the, I thought the interesting part of it was the thing does not have a mobile suit deck or like a, a mobile suit hanger. It can't carry the, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I, it's I, to be the new, I, I, had, I got the idea that it was just like a giant, like space battleship it was like yeah yeah it's just meant to be green wyatt's big flagship where he goes look at me i have a fleet <laughs> yeah so we also see um in this this space training scenario um keith basically sees two two colonies are being moved from side one to side three so basically um during the one year of war a lot of colonies were wrecked on multi on a whole bunch of different sides. Um, side three is um, the the Zeon side. That's where um, most of the Zeon forces came from. Um, but they have this colony reclam reclamation plan, which is where they're basically resupplying like the different sides and giving like moving things from here to there and, and building them up. Um, this is definitely not foreshadowing at any point for anything. Well, so. Do you guys know why this exists in the fiction? Like the real, in real life reason. Okay, so. They're ethylograms points, right? Is that what you're referring to? No, no. Like in our actual human, our real world, do you know why they had to put that in 0083? Like no. And bring, okay. So when they made Zeta, somebody screwed up where... Um, sides four, five, and six were for like the whole production. They just <laughs> got the location wrong. <laughs> so when they made this, they went back and made up, oh, well, because of like the reasons you outlined and like to ease population growth or something, or like there was this colony reclamation project. It was completed in 0084. <laughs> and it's all just because they fucked up during Zeta and this was wow. a on to fix it. Um, but the consequence is that side four is moved from L5 to L1. So it is now in uh, the place that like Loom would have been in the one year war. Mm -hmm. um, and then side four was moved from L5. Oh, sorry. I just said that. So side five was moved from L1 to L4 and then six was moved from L4 to L5. Um, so now you have one and six are around the same Lagrange point, two and five around the same one on like the angles uh, as I like to think of them, uh, like the 60 degree angle from earth or whatnot. And then, uh, or 30, my bad. And then uh, you've got four on the front of the moon, three on the back of the moon, and then seven is still, in between earth and the sun so and i think we've mentioned it before but the lagrange points are essentially like spaces between earth and the moon and the sun and any variation of that where 
there's basically minimal um, gravitational pull. Uh, basically, like you, you get like equilibrium between the moon and the earth and the sun. So basically these are like stable gravity wells where you could like keep things uh, without them like bouncing around too much. Like there's actually like yeah. a big telescope that's getting ready to be launched in the next year or so called the James Webb telescope, which is going to be launched to one of the far end of the moon um, Lagrange points. So it's like a little bit darker and everything like that. And it doesn't have to constantly be burning fuel and things along those lines, but it'll be able to take like some deep space um, photographs similar to the Hubble, but the Hubble was like just, in, in Earth orbit. Yeah, in Earth orbit. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to put that in L2. Oh, is L2? Yeah. yeah. So that, you said far side of the moon, that, that would be L2. So it's going, uh, hey, that's the first Xeon telescope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, whenever you have three objects exerting gravitational force on something, there is some point where that force is in equilibrium, and that's what those are. Um, so yeah, we get to see, um, Co meeting up with Nina and they're like, still in a good spot. They're in a really good spot because they have a secret handshake. Um, I know. I thought that was an interesting little, like sudden, sudden <laughs> thing. This, this just concludes, this like keeps showing how freaking bipolar Nina is as a character in the anime. Yeah. Like, buddy, buddy. And they've got a secret handshake. Yeah. And then we see. Uh, Lieutenant Burning, a.k.a. Lieutenant Ripped and Tan Man. <laughs> he's going to go to the doctor because he's going to retire soon. Um, it's not a he's, death flag at all. So he's, he's like, uh, I think in the battle with Ko, he kind of had like some weird like shudder or something along those lines. And so he felt like some, th something was going on. So he went to the doctor the doctor ran some CT scans and stuff on him, and they were like, no, nah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but Bernie was talking about retiring and his family and all that stuff. Right. Um, and then we get, like, <laughs> this random Captain Synapse uh, cameo in this in this thing. Um, apparently, the doctor has a drinking limit, or the captain has a drinking limit. He is limited to how much he can drink, and there's, like, lines on a whiskey bottle uh, and, and the doctor's like, well, you could drink down to this line today. And, and Synapse is like, no, nah, I think I'm going to hit this one up. <laughs> That's because the other drink is going to burning. That's why he's allowed to do that. You, you know, you don't have a problem whatsoever when they, they ration your booze on your own ship. You get one a day. And it's probably not even a day for him. It's like probably w one per shift or something like that. He's probably like using all the weird space time zones to be like, well, now it's another day in this sector. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, then we go on and we see uh, Mancha. And uh, Mancha has a whole bunch of just creepy pictures of Nina. It was basically like upskirt pictures of her working on the uh mobile suit yeah and things along the, that line i didn't care for that um <laughs> uh, but but keith did keith really cared for those pictures he was like what's up girl look how, look how hot she is she's so sexy <laughs> um, although i think at this point he's like well entrenched into banging mora yeah which is yeah as you know, say it's like funny because like i think in episode seven he went on that date with mora 
and well, not even the date. Like it, it seemed like it was established that they were together. Yeah. I don't know. That may be more like snoo snoo. I'm not sure. It's like one hundred percent Yeah. Um, all right. So the Albion meets up um, to get a supply drop. They get supplies uh, onboarded, and um, Mora is chasing Keith around because apparently he has even more creepy pictures. Um, yeah. He stole manchas, yeah. Oh, yeah, he stole manchas. And so, yeah, it, it, it's like this long, awkward scene. Um, and then we see Ko apparently had, hits up the library because he's just so oblivious. Um, and he's like like getting all these skeevy books. And one, one, of, one of them is the call, It's the title is The Secrets of a Woman's Body. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, yeah, so. The other one is. Ishizoko reviewers. There's a thing. You know, it's it's funny. I feel like th this is a, a trope that I had never really thought of. Um, you know, you watch a lot of the Gundam shows, and the pilots have a trope of just like being bad with women, but um, they're also kind of skeevy. I mean, uh, I, I, Scotty and I were talking this morning about reading the the book and how you know uh amaro's like talking about getting up this girl's skirt and in the book and then it's like nah fuck it i, I want to bang frau Bo. um but yeah i i, I feel like that the, there's a trope of like creepy gundam pilots yeah. well they're mostly teenage men I, boys so i feel like this is more of an extension of like tamino though yeah I don't know. Where would we put Mikazuki in all this? Is that he's iron the iron, iron blood? Yeah. He just like couldn't care less. Yeah, dude, he'll he'll bang anything, but he doesn't like care about it. Mm. Will he bang anything? Seems as like long as he's attached to his Gundam. I mean it seemed like it was more like really hard to get him to bang something. <laughs> I, I think if he was attached to his Gundam, he'll do whatever anybody's asking him to do. Maybe if they were like, you can do the Mars princess, he would have been like, all right. But instead, <laughs> they're like, we found this like 12-year-old. She's had her blood. <laughs> uh, all right. So they detect some Xeon ships and co-launches. <laughs> Um, the the so there's a, there's a sorry there's an important thing here though. <laughs> so like me fucking up this episode, um, what the Albion has actually ended up doing on accident is so that uh, th there are a couple of shots that establish that uh, both Admiral Wyatt and Seema are on the move and they are actually rendezvousing, and this is a this is a pretty extremely not subtle foreshadowing for some things to come. Uh, because when the Albion gets to the same area and launches, they think they're helping the Birmingham. Right. But the Birmingham has to fire near Seema's ship and miss so that she can escape. Cause they're like, wait, we can't rendezvous right now. Yeah. So essentially like Cole launches when they detect these, these Xeon ships and um, they, the Birmingham is pissed. Like they, they're 
you know, they have a scene where they're just like, what the fuck? Uh, he's like, turn the ship around. We got to like do whatever we got to do. Um, but it's very clear. Like these, they, they were planning on meeting up and, and um, excuse me, the Albion fucked up their plans. Um, but yeah, so they, they go to battle and um, burning Lieutenant burning is out in his GM and he finds this floating Xeon body with a briefcase. Um, and he, he gets, he engages with, with SEMA and um, or actually, sorry, he finds a suit and a, as he's grabbing the, the briefcase, Seema attacks, attacks him. Um, they fight. He gets injured a little bit, uh, but Seema is forced to retreat at this point. Let's talk about something really quick. And, and this, this is another thing we've talked about as we've kind of read the, the, new, the, the Mobile Suit Gundam book is how big is space, right? Really? <laughs> Really big, really big, infinitely so. And it, I just think it's funny. Like space is really dark. Yeah. And then, like, burning just happens upon this body with a briefcase in his mobile suit. But well, you know, I'm suspending disbelief. Okay, I'm suspending. (laughs) It also doesn't. You know, there is some time compression, so I always just try to say okay it doesn't show us how long they've been out there maybe they've been out there for hours uh and then it's also these battle scenes are typically like there's usually a decent view of the sun when they pan so that kind of explains the lighting a little bit better yeah Uh, so from the correct angle things are going to be pretty well lit if you know the sun is not being blocked by the earth or the moon or something like that um, I would just have to imagine, like, even if you have the reflection of, like, some, like, broken-ass metal colony, which is what the implication is here, it would be really hard if you're in a mobile suit with a camera um, on it to see, like, individual things that aren't that large. Like, it, it would, especially, like, if you're, like, right on top of it, yeah. But if you were, like, I mean, you got to think about, how far out from everything you're going to be in average. And that would just be like super difficult um, unless you have like some sort of AI thing. Like if you're running Google cloud and it's sitting there processing and be like, Hey, here's a body. <laughs> like that would be one thing. And let, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what they have. They're running AWS or Google cloud um, right. image processing on their Gundams. <laughs> Um, so the, but I think the more like inexcusable part of this one is what happens next. You know, so he he gets this briefcase, and it obviously has info about Operation Stardust in there. Yeah, and I think that was what was meant to be transferred over to Wyatt because SEMA is trying to defect. If you couldn't tell from the not subtle hinting in the. Uh, two previous episodes where she was talking to the Anaheim director on the moon. And then you can't tell from this. I mean, you know, I don't know what to tell you, uh, but it, the, the show is hitting you over the head at this point with Seema's trying to defect because you have to remember in the anime canon, she was not allowed to go to Axis. They didn't want her and her fleet with them. They were like, you gassed places. You did all these war crimes. And she's like, someone told me to. I didn't want to do those things. And they're like, fuck you. We don't want you. Um, so she's like, 
involved in this. So she is sort of like as a revenge thing. And uh, yeah, anyway, so, you know, he gets this thing and he starts reading some of the documents when they're on the way back to the Albion. And then, well, he's just hanging out there. He's not actually moving at this point. Oh, oh, when he recovers the briefcase. When he's reading it, he's just hanging out, isn't he? I thought he just basically stayed in the same place for the long, a long time. No, they're like in just like kind of a calm inertial flight back to the Albion. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've got a little ways to go, but this is just one of those scenes that they normally wouldn't show you where they, well, we mentioned space being very big. They have to go a little ways to get back to the ship. Um, and then his uh, GM just sort of blows up. Yeah, the, the the you know it's like the the longer you go into the episode, the more the foreshadowing is. And at the very end, it's like you you just see like this thing twitching in his his GM like as he's reading it. It's like he reads a page. He's like, oh my god, I need to tell somebody. And like it, it shows it twitching. He's like, this is Operation, and it's like twitch twitch Stardust twitch twitch boom. <laughs> the real the real target is boom. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was super obvious. They did it for way, for a bit too long, I think. They cut to it about five times, and yeah. Well, and when they recovered stuff, uh, I guess they built. Yeah, it blew up. Never mind. I don't think I don't know. Reactor in most of the Gundams, so our GMs and mobile suits in general, right? I don't know. It, it, this is just like to me. This is one of the all-time really dumbest deaths in Gundam. Um, yeah, I was, I was pretty. You, you said something about it, and then I saw it, and I was a little disappointed about it. Yeah. So um, everybody on the ship is sad. Um, uh, Burning had apparently gotten a letter from his wife on that supply drop that he was never able to read, and um, Ko gets our, I think, our one and only, uh, so far, one rank promotion. Yeah, I didn't even know they did that. Yeah, yeah, and they they promote bait as well. Who? Alpha bait, the guy on the fourth team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They do. They're, yeah, they're both lieutenant junior grade now. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, episode eight sucks. I, I I like I like the the rest of the show for what it is, but episode eight's garbage. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. So I think the next two are okay, um, but the back half of the show, to me, is not. It, 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 you know, the show has a pretty good reputation, and from a production standpoint, it has absolutely earned it. It's beautiful. Um, you know, the production is fan freaking tastic. This is mech porn. This might be like one of. I shouldn't say one of. I mean, if you like hand-drawn cells this is the best looking gundam show yeah you know um because it was all, still all made before stuff was being done digitally and the back half of the show just other than the next couple episodes we're going to get to which are even maybe stretched out a bit long on themselves it loses steam and, and this is really where it starts for me to to lose that steam um and, and you know, so one of the things I think we probably ought to mention, we're not talking about the manga right now because it's so different at this part that yeah. we decided we're going to have another episode when we're done with the show to talk about 
all the different things there and the manga hasn't finished either. So that's another thing. Like it's still active. I think volume 14 came out today in Japan or something like that. Uh, Easy. Yeah. So uh, yeah. anyway, all I was trying to say was, you know, we're, we're not mentioning the manga because it's so different. We'd be here forever. And you know, they, you know, burning does die in that, but it's much better. It's, I mean, it, it's much, much, it's handled so much better. No, 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 uh, no, f every five seconds showing a cell of his, his GM blowing up. Oh, I was like, what is this Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks? <laughs> like we got to see the inside before the oxygen tank blows. Like, yeah. On. November 10th, 0083 universal century episode nine begins. Um, I, I like this episode more than the last one. I'll, I'll start with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think episode eight is the worst episode in all of double, double 83. I agree with that. I think I would have to think hard about the others, but it's definitely bottom tier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Axis fleet is sending support to the Delaz fleet. Um, we see, uh, briefly, uh, Maharaja Karn. I think we actually see, um, Haman Karn as well. Very, very, very briefly. Yeah. Um, she her. says she gets to say one line. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only time we see her in this episode. Um, but it's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. and it's the, so something to just kind of keep in mind, this kind of helps me contextualize. Axis is an asteroid. It is populated. It, uh, but it is beyond Mars. It is in between Mars and Jupiter. And this is where a lot of Xeon remnants fled after the war. Um, so this is, you know, where like Maneva Zabi is taken. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, anyone that was worried that they would, would be, I don't know, a war criminal or something like that, they, they left for Axis. And that's, um, yeah, that's, that's where they live. And the fleet that, is going to be sent from there is called the Axis Advance Fleet. Uh, they end up being just referred to as the Axis Fleet or Axis uh, for the rest of the show. But like, I think it's important to know it's just like a small fleet of theirs. It, they didn't like send every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we learned that Solomon has been renamed to Conpei Island. Um, did they ever explain why? Well, why they renamed it? Yeah, it's a language pun that doesn't really work in English. Uh, it's so it's confeto in in the Japanese, like the the little candy. Oh uh, yeah, like, and that's what the that's what Solomon looks like. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Azaku is trying to get to Kompei Island and um, Keith takes it out. And um, we learned that a steady stream of Xeon forces have basically been heading um, towards Solomon. I think I'm going to refer continue referring to it to Solomon because that makes more sense to me. <laughs> Kompei Alamon. Kompei Alamon. Um, but yeah, so we... we actually get to go back and we get to see a little bit more of Gato and his group. This is, we didn't really see him much in episode eight. Um, and we get to meet 
Karius, who is the only living remnant uh, of Zeon that actually fought alongside Gato. He's Karius. Um, he's, uh, Karius. Karius. Yeah. Um, and we see Gato just kind of being emo. Um, emo Gato. I mean, he does this at a different time. When he's not able to, like, rant and give these, like, ideological speeches, he's, he's emo Gato. Um, as I'll call him. Yeah. Uh, Look, he's got... Karius is also a tan man. And he's there to support him. Yeah. So, one thing we learn um, with the Naval Review, which was announced at the beginning of Episode 8, is um, the Naval Review is going to leave Earth largely unguarded. So, they're basically taking all of the ships, um, minus, like, a few, obviously... But they're putting the, they're bringing them to Solomon to um, present arms like they did, and they mentioned it at one point, like starting during like the Napoleonic Wars or something along those lines. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Earth is going to be unguarded. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Um, and Cole is being angsty again. So Cole is being Cole. And he in Nina's like trying to flirt with him, but he pushes her away and says, "Well, I smell bad, so leave me alone." So he immediately bails on that, though. He like kind of smacks her hand away and then starts joking with her about it. Yeah. So the character design in this show is just so terrible. <laughs> when you say character design, do you mean like their personalities? Yeah. 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 I honestly, um, we, we talked. Like- I feel like they have like six different authors and each author writes a different scene and each author has a different like imagination of like what, who these each character is and what their relationship with each other is. Right. Well, again, Oh, sorry, Lou, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's, it's super strange because like uh, a lot of the talk that we had about how terrible Nina is like, doesn't really, it comes off a little bit in the earlier episodes, but it's really apparent in the, the back half of the show. A lot of the characters are terrible in the back half of the show because they're doing what the plot dictates instead of doing what they would do. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of a great my, my my shining example is just scrunchy faced co. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So we see Mancha beating up a Zeon prisoner. Um, so this one of these steady streams of Zaku's that. Um, had been heading towards uh, Solomon, was captured, and Mancha is basically torturing this guy in the middle of the hallway. Um, and Mancha does not want to follow the Antarctic Treaty. Gato would be so pissed off. Who, who does follow the Antarctic Treaty? Captain Zeon. <laughs> that's, um, that's I feel like there's got to be like somebody that follows it at some point in the show like maybe some civilian on earth like they're not building nuclear weapons right definitely makuve yeah there you go mm-hmm. which version of makuve how, how many times have we determined he dies in a different way it's four right we're up to four counting the novels yeah i'm well, sure I'm sure he dies differently in different video games too yeah and and uh well and we don't even know in the because at the end of the condensed movie version of Mobile Suit Gundam, he flies off in a ship with Char at the end. 
So we don't even know. We, we'll just assume Char just shoots him like five minutes later. <laughs> He's on a rampage at that point. Yeah. You count uh, when I had him as one of my backups on uh, the Gundam, the GPGW. It's a lot higher than four. <laughs> yeah. Makuve is a man, is, is basically a cat. He's got nine lives. Um, and he dies each a different way each time. Um, yeah. So all the admirals uh, for the Federation are going to be heading to the Mermingham. Um, yeah. And there's two Pegasus class ships in the Naval Review. Oh, yeah. Completely unnamed. You just see two uh, Pegasus class ships. Yeah. It's. I thought you were going to drop some trivia on us. So, well, it, it is just to you know, have a way to, because remember the one that we see in 0080, like the gray phantom, like mm -hmm. it, it shows up and is just never seen again. Yeah. Uh, so it is a, I think completely 100% fan originated thing that one of those is the gray phantom just because it gives an explanation for why it never shows up again. We got blown so we, up. We've got like what, three or four Pegasus class ships that have names. So we have the white base we have the Albion. Yep, we yep, have yep. the Gray Bay. What was it? So the one year war ones, you got White Base and then Gray Phantom and Thoroughbred are added later. Yep. They build three. And, Thoroughbred. And, then, and then we have um, in Thunderbolt, there's Spartan. Spartan. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so I think I think they said they built like a total of nine of them at one point, right? I forget where we saw that, but it said there was like nine Pegasus class ships built. Uh, also uh, differs between continuities, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah five yeah. is all is all all we really know. And spoilers: the Spartan doesn't need to be accounted for. Why is that, Scotty? Fucking crashes! Like everybody crashes everything in Thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, so the Xeon Mobile Suits launch, and we actually get to see some Drax in here, or Dracs, or whatever you want to call them. Um, they're actually a pretty cool design. Um, and, you know, there's some, like, debate if, if Gato needs to fire a signal flare or not, and everybody's like, no, don't do it. It's going to be stealthy, and Gato's like, no, with with God on our side, if, with heaven on our side, we don't even need the element of surprise because if I fire this off then and God is supporting us, then we will win. Um, so uh, Gato just fires off the signal flare. So that's what he says. But what is implied is that he does that because the men under him, like that was their signal to attack in the one-year war. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the shots of the other mobile suit pilots when they fire that flare, they're like looking at it and like jizzing in their pants. <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah. It's well, it's, I think that's kind of like Gatto's MO, right. Is to just be like a balls to the wall type of guy. So like, e even if the plan was to be stealthy, he's basically like, no, nah, I don't need that. That's not who I am. I'm going to just yeah, r run, run the gamut. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because Wyatt isn't taking them seriously whatsoever. Um, he's like giving a speech at this point, and uh, there was an an interesting bit of of history stuff. He said that 
King Edward III started the tradition of the Naval Review in 1314. Now, King Edward III, um, you know, did keep um, control of the English Channel in a great naval battle in a war with, I think, uh, Portugal, France, or something. Anyway, but that's all I know about that. <laughs> History. Um yeah, so so they charge in, and we actually get a new type flash in here, but it's not Co. It's Keith. Yeah, Keith yeah. has a new type flash when he's fighting one of the Drags. Um, Look, Keith is only made out to be an okay pilot, but I think that is a way of like he he is surviving on intuition and things like that. And so I think it's shitty mobile suits. Oh yeah, exactly. He's in a GM cannon, like, uh, not a GM. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, well, I mean, I feel like the manga does a pretty good job of this, of explaining this, but the, the show does to a lesser degree, but like he, he is fight. They're fighting like tons and tons of, of Xeon forces. And he's in a suit that is like old, Maybe it has some upgrades since since 0079, but like the, the armor's like, been upgraded. Yeah, but he's he's not necessarily like he's he's probably outgunned most of the time, and he's doing like a pretty good job, especially considering um, they're supposed to be test pilots. These guys were not meant to be like you know frontline pilots. They learned how to pilot the mobile suits and test their capabilities out, not necessarily. Um, go toe to toe and like, you know, dodge incoming fire from three or four Zaku's. So, yeah, like a it like a Hollywood stunt driver or the guy. That's a bad example. Like the guy that works for General Motors testing out the Hummer when they're coming mm-hmm. off the line is not the dude you would have driving it in the desert in combat operations. Right, right. But that's what this is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the Xeon forces are actually able to get pretty close to Solomon, um, even though there's a naval review. So this this is like one of the, the convenient spots where they remember that space is huge, I guess. And um, like you, you can have a thousand ships out and around this island and still have huge openings where, you know, somebody can sneak up from a certain angle. Well, so this is part of Gato's strategy or in Delaz's strategy is as Gato and Karius and all those suits are approaching, you see uh, Gato and a small handful of other suits break off and a lot of it goes in the other direction and they call it the diversionary group. Right. And that's what's detected first by the defenses at Solomon. And so you see them respond to it and what I had put in my notes is that um, they, the diversionary group gets misidentified as the main force. And so the Federation is sending a fuck ton of GMs to intercept. Like you see these GMs, I mean, they're coming out of these ships like ants out of an anthill. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you hear the, the Xeon forces too are... I, you know, there's a lot of allusions I mentioned earlier to like religious like connotations to this battle. And in, in this period, you, you hear a lot of these Xeon forces 
they're getting like metaphysical and religious, like when they're talking about things and they're talking about hearing the voices of the Solomon dead and everything like this. So they're very much like, this is our revenge for our loss at Solomon. This is, we're going to get our revenge back. Um, and then we, we shift back to Gato's small little um, side force and they get noticed by um, this little drone that's hanging out in space debris um and mancha notices it and he basically like ko and keith are only the only ones that are close enough to like reliably intercept them at this point so mancha orders them to go intercept um gato's uh unit um but they are too late and gato loads up his uh nuke bazooka and Flies towards the Solomon fleet and drops that nuke right in the middle. And that's the end of episode nine. Puts um, that nuke right in the snooze. Yeah. Snook in the snooze. Yeah, it seemed like he was, uh, I don't know, just like shooting at debris because that doesn't move, I guess. I don't know. But that's irrelevant. Well, he flies up above Solomon so that he can be dramatic because he's yeah. like that. He's like, Solomon, I've returned. <laughs> are you ready to rock and he's like oh just kidding i'm fucking killing you and but uh, they do have a shot of him scoping out a target and i don't know if it if it's supposed to be the birmingham it's not very clear i mean he just to me it's better if he just picks a ship at random i thought it was supposed to be the birmingham but it it, it it's hard to tell because i i had made drawn the connection that all of the admirals were being pl placed on the birmingham to Sema working with these guys to Gato dropping a nuke on the Birmingham. I mean, there's so many ships. I just kind of like the idea of him picking out one random one and be like, fuck yeah. ship in particular. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, the episode, uh, end of episode nine, but we're, it, it pretty much jumps right into 10. So these, this is basically like one long battle for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. But we get at the beginning of episode 10, Sima is back, or Shima is back, or whatever your English translation of this is. It annoys the crap out of me. Um, I vote Sima. It, it's definitely Sima. Uh, <laughs> uh, she has a 58-hour countdown on her ship. We don't know exactly what it, it's for, but um, we know it's for Operation Stardust and whatever that entails at this point. Um, and we see, we go back to Unit 2, his left arm is broken. Um, you fire a nuclear bazooka, and it just, you know, it fucks you up. So, um, yeah, I, was, I thought that was interesting. He was, he was like, jammed into shield mode. Yeah, so I think the, the manga mentions this a little bit more explicitly, but there's, there's some sort of connection between you, like, they have to have the shield to fire the, the nuclear warheads and things like that, and there's, like... I think they talked about it in like the very first episode where they were discussing how like how much more heavily armored it was and how it carried a shield and the other one didn't. But remember, code code damages the shield and that cooling system early on. Yeah, that's true. Is that why it damages the arm in this this case? Is because it can't like vent the the stress or whatever? To me, that it's implied as a carryover from okay that earlier battle uh, because they really haven't done anything to the unit too, other than load it on that HLV and then carry it around. Yeah. yeah. 
and that's that, that's what was weird to me is like they didn't do a good a good job of explaining why it was damaged other than like it fired the bazooka so i would just i just assume that the kickback of the bazooka damaged the arm also um, yeah but, i mean they kind of address it like he he fires it and then uh it cuts and he's like hmm the arm's not working and then that's it yeah so it, i didn't even you know without without like digging into it in my head i wouldn't have even thought about thought twice about it yeah yeah. They, they definitely drew some illusions, but they didn't like make them very good. <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I wanted to watch for, and I did, was that they did a good job of committing in the animation to it being disabled, except when they needed it to like rotate a little bit so that it would still look cool. Um, so they, they did a they did a pretty respectable job of of keeping it generally stuck in place, but not. It's, there's not perfect liberties for looking cute. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. So Ko and, and Gato are fighting around a lot and they're both actually, you know, at this point it, it shows that they're pr both pretty good pilots. Um, Ko um, blows up a beam saber that Gato has kind of like thrown out there. And as he blows up that beam saber, Gato sneaks up on him Um and they're just like kind of going at it at this point. Yeah. You know what I appreciated during this battle um, is that they actually sort of explain how they're able to have their middle of fight debate as is tradition, because uh, was, I think Kono's got to his frequency. And then at some point they could tell them to change frequencies. Yeah. Like they're actually adjusting their radios so that they can monologue to one another talking yeah. and not just well i mean look a lot of gundam shows they just start talking to each other yeah and you're like i guess they have radios i guess well, they can keep, uh, one of the, the the things that they they've mentioned in some of the shows and they mention it again in the in the gundam book is um when you touch another person's normal suit or gundam like there's some sort of like ghetto shortwave frequency that allows you to like communicate with people. Um, and then there's the long wave free frequencies, which is kind of like the radio waves that we're talking about right here. So there's, there's a, a handful of different ways for people to communicate with each other in space, yeah, not directly connected. And there's like, you know, a vacuum that absorbs all sound waves. Yeah. But Minofsky particles screw up radio. So there's also laser signal communication right. to know someone's IFF and your IFF can be a great way to give yourself away your position away to the enemy. Um, but then we also have new type stuff, which is not happening here. Um, but I will say that there are some shows that they just start talking to each other and that's that. Yeah. They just, like, there would be no way for this to actually happen. But right. It's fine. Um, so we learned that uh, a third of the Federation fleet has is survived. So two thirds of the Federation fleet um, has basically been destroyed uh, thanks to Gato's nuke, which is like that's a lot. Can we talked about in the last part of the, the episode that right. um, that was everything? Like they moved pretty much all of their Earth forces to this naval review. So this this is a huge loss for the Federation. Um, but we also learned that uh, the Albion is trying to go in and help save these guys. 
and they're basically told to go fuck off. They're, they're just, hey, you're an autonomous attack ship, so go do something autonomously. Fantastic <laughs> quote, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you guys something. Oh, uh, yeah, so what I was wanting to ask you guys, and this is maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but this has just been something that, I mean, good Lord, since like I knew Gundam existed, has been discussed on like message boards and stuff. Um, it, do you think that uh, it, like it's always been, it's kind of implied much later in the show, but it has always been very strongly speculated among fans that uh, Jamatov and Bascom uh, and um, Jamaican are like, they're conveniently not there for one. Uh, and, you know, also, like, you know, they know that we know and we find out later, but uh, they're, you know, they're also in contact with SEMA. So they would have some idea of what's happening. And it's long been speculated that they sort of purposely, um, like, were influencing Wyatt to just not care about it and just poke him along to do this to make it an easy, obvious target so that it would be one of their pretexts for consolidating power. I didn't know what you guys thought about that. As I thought, yeah, I think, instead of actually asking a question, sorry. I, th- I mean, I think that that makes sense. Uh, I mean, yeah. Why, why else? I mean, they, SEMA knows what Operation Stardust is, yeah. and ostensibly has some level of influence on how it plays out. So I, I would say that it makes complete sense that. She is involved in. Um, I never really got the impression that she had much say in it. That she was just like the annoying sister along for the ride. Well, I mean, she's the commander of, you know, a large fleet, right? She not a large fleet, but like a secondary, oh. like assistance fleet. She's got a piece to play, so I'm I'm sure she's not just. She is not just subservient to the to the laws. Yeah. Yeah. She probably doesn't have full control, but I would I would argue that she would probably she probably has enough influence that she could be like, well, if we have a choice between this and this, well, let me go check with my federation buddies first and see what they want. So, yeah. But yeah, I I feel like, I mean, they they obviously knew and they could probably set this thing up, which is also why they pulled the. Um, I feel that's why they pulled all of the the, the, the fleet from Earth, right? Because they knew what Operation Stardust was and they knew what would happen and they needed to maximize the effectiveness of Operation Stardust. And the, um, yeah, and you can't do that if you have a whole bunch of ships protecting Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, Gato, and this, this scene with Gato... He's basically just like he's like a, a saying generator at this point in the show. It's like a man who fights only with hatred cannot defeat me, and a whole bunch of other just stupid shit that just comes out of his mouth. And I'm like, all right, dude, I get it. You're ideological. You're fighting for whatever you're fighting for. Just fucking like fight. <laughs> um, he was a, he is a bit preachy. I, I agree. I feel like he. They were like, what if? Char was, was more, more annoying. Yeah, right. It's like it's like 
it's like Shar read a book on Taoist philosophy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Well, he had three years of doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. He's sure. got to drop these platitudes on somebody. <laughs> yeah, this like I think I've mentioned it before, but like some of these early shows, especially just they have these weird battle of ideologies between the, the pilots and it's just like, all right, guys, just fucking kill each other. I don't care. Like you're fighting for Zeon, you're fighting for the Federation. You don't you don't need to say anything fancy, just fucking aim. <laughs> and it's and and this is one of the shows Although I have to say this, like the one bit of this I do appreciate with Gato is that the rest of this show does a terrible job of outlining motivations for yeah. these, for well, really, especially the Federation forces. Like so they I, do a really bad job of motivating, like letting us know why they care about the Earth, uh, other than they're just doing their duty. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with him like giving the motivations and stuff like that. Like I think his motivation is well established several times. I just the thing that bothers me is like how much they just kind of like dig it in. It's like you you put the knife in and then like you're twisting it, twisting it, and twisting it, and eventually like you're inside the body. Stop! <laughs> like I don't know. I, mean, I, I I don't take it to that degree as as you did. I mean, I can understand your point. Um, I didn't think it was that in your face though. Yeah, yeah. I I might have just been no. I can understand it. It's okay to disagree. But, all right, so Gato and Cole are still fighting at this point. Uh, Gato pressures Cole a lot, uh, but Cole finally actually notices that Gato's left arm is damaged, and um, he kind of leverages that to, you know, he starts attacking from the left side a little bit more to kind of take advantage of that fact. Um, But Gato pulls out his beam saber, um, kind of like tweaks the power on it and sets it to maximum maximum stun and uh, overpowers Ko and, and fucks him up pretty bad. Um, Ko accelerates into Gato um, while Keith and some other forces are kind of closing in on both of them. Um, and basically both of their suits are destroyed at this point. Um, yeah, they had that like weird, slow, smoky explosion thing. Yeah, it was the, the suits are about to blow up, but they they have time to like get away from each other after a little bit. I, I think there, there's like another Gundam show where something similar happens. It might have been like Thunderbolt. Did Did either of you play Xenogears? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how the the gears exploded in in that. Go. Oh. You know the thing that. I know this is going to be a tangent. I I played the fuck out of that game, and the second disc. I never finished it. I played like three quarters of the second disc, and well, then I about, never finished the game. Fun fact about not finishing the second disc: neither did Square. <laughs> That's what I heard. That's yeah, I, I guarantee if you found your PlayStation and the memory card with that file on it, and just stuck the second disc in with your save and played for like two hours, you could finish that second disc. Yep, because <laughs> I did that for years, and then it was at some point—I don't know, maybe a decade ago—I was like, I should just actually finish this game. I was at the end, and I just threw it in, and I was like, I'll just go fight the the end 
level. I don't know if I'm leveled up enough. If I'm not, whatever, I'll go watch it on YouTube or something. No, I just just went right on through, and it just dumped that ending on me. It is there like, is there an end boss? Oh yeah, yeah. It's God. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Deus. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and you kill him in your robot, and you become. I'm not gonna spoil it for you. I'm not going to play it. <laughs> then, you know, I mean, Xenogears being what it is, like you're able to defeat God because you are God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Xenogears is also kind of God, but right. then like you're God. It's, it's a thing. It, it's more I, like... I, I, the I first disc was probably one of my favorite games of all time. Well, they ran out of money. That's what happened is they ran out of money and they had like... They're like, all right, we got two weeks and like 15 bucks left. Let's finish this. I, I really wanted to like the Xeno Saga games a lot more. And I did like like the first one or two of them. Um, but Derville's uh, or Mocked or something like that. The Will yeah, Power. I mean, it was, I basically, it was basically Xeno Saga 1, Xeno Saga 2. I think they came up with like to like four, maybe? Three, what I think. Three? three? Yeah. So I played one and two. I don't think I finished two, but I finished one. Because um, it led pretty much directly into two. Um, What's the other one? Xenoblade Chronicles is the new one. That's like spiritual. There's spirit. Xenoblade. You're not talking Xenoblade. about them anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. This is hey, it's still robots. Whatever. Yeah, uh, it's all all awesome. You have Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, and then they came out with Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is the closest thing to a single player offline MMO I have ever played. The yeah. one on Wii U, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that thing is hard. Yeah, and well, it's just it's long. Well, they're all long. It's but, grindy as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one wasn't my favorite, but I did play a good deal of it, but I never finished it. Once you get a robot, I was like, well, that that's I never got there because I we we bought it and started playing it around the same time, yeah. and then like I remember reading somebody was like, oh yeah, I'm like forty hours in and I just got the fucking mech, and I'm like, what? <laughs> It took, yeah. me, it took me like 70 something. The only reason I was able to play that game as much as I did is because I was unemployed for a stretch. Um, <laughs> but like the, the, one of the big appeals on it, what like that kept me playing was the exploration and the sense of awe and these big, crazy environments. And then you get a robot and you're just like, I can fly everywhere in like five minutes and just trample on stuff. Yeah. And it, I was like, Oh, well now I have a job too to go back to. And I never finished it. But anyway, there's also Xeno, Xenoblade Chronicles two and it's prequel, which is, one of my favorite games of this entire generation and of the last decade. I played the, the absolute DLC sequel or prequel, right? Yeah. Well, the, so the, the DLC is like a, it was part of the game that to get it out on time, like, so that it was going to be a like flashback chapter mid game. And then to get it out on time, they decided, well, we'll put it out as DLC and that'll give us time to do it justice. Yeah. Uh, so they did that. It was well worth it because just that was like another 60 hours on top of the 200, <laughs> like 230 I played at the main game. Um, it's almost all I played for a damn year, but it's excellent. And so like it and Xenoblade Chronicles eat it. are, no, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, but only 230 hours. That's, that's not that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I could have beat it long before I was trying to do all the side quests. Um Anyway, so like it and Xenoblade Chronicles are a split timeline that is strongly inferred to be um, something that was like, like Xenoblade Chronicles 2 really amps up the like the Zohar has something to do with this. Yeah. Um, but they can't, 
they can't like totally go and jump into an IP that is a little bit of a gray area. So yeah. Anyway, it's a, uh, it's really cool stuff. What the fuck are we podcasting about? Robots. Uh, yeah. So um, both the units blow up. Um, Keith grabs Co and gets away. And to be, clear, to be clear, back to Gundam. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Both of the Gundams blow up. GPO one and GPO two. Um, and uh, Nina is sad that she has lost her Gundam. Um, and then Co is forced to, after suffering a near nuclear explosion right in his face to comfort Nina because she lost both of her Gundams. Poor, poor Nina. So I had a, I had a fun note about Nina during the fight. So while they're still fighting and it's this really cool, well-animated Gundam fight, uh, Nina is like watching from the ship and she's sad about it. So I put Nina is watching this cool fight and is sad about it. Must not like Gundams that much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's like your, uh, your little sister gets to play with your, with your Gunpla. And you're sad about it. Oh yeah, because you're not yet. Yeah, those are destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my completely again, complete tangent. I, I was I want to buy the the Hello Kitty SD Gundam and build it, um, and put it in my daughter's room. And my wife thinks that's a complete waste because she can't play with it. But I'm like, but it's it's a Hello Kitty Gunpla. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't I even. I built my daughter a bear guy. I, I think it's uh, just a big bear guy. No, it's it's a gunpla. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's there's um uh, there's some toy fair, and I've I've seen them posting pictures of it. There's the the um the what do you call what do you call these things? The runners. The runners are heart shaped. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like how you're like. There's some toy fair. Like, yeah, yeah. No, what took up my entire fucking last weekend? Um, C two, you went to C two D two or E two or whatever it was. No, New York Toy Fair. I don't. I didn't go there, but I have to do stuff for it on the Transformers site. Uh, yeah. did, didn't I go up to New York one time, and you were at the New York Toy Fair? I, I was there when we met up in New York, completely randomly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, this was several years ago, and, I, and my my wife and I were up in New York. I think it was we were like watching uh, i think we were going to go see like a play or something like that it was valentine's day weekend yes and and we we were going to go see wicked on uh broadway and scotty was in new york and we're like hey let's meet up and say yeah. hi <laughs> like either of us live in new york city yeah oh, not anywhere close <laughs> yeah and and you know lane's like what like i saw like on twitter you're in new york i was like yeah he's like i'm in new york I was like what the fuck <laughs> and <laughs> so i we, we had breakfast <laughs> yeah I, I should have gotten a cab it was only like uh uh two of the short blocks and i think two of the long ones uh i think the long ones are the east west i don't remember but it, like it was so cold i it think was a wind tunnel too that day uh-huh yeah. Yeah, I think the wind chill was somewhere negative five or something like that. And yeah, how come you guys ever meet me in New York? God. I mean, I meet you at your house. <laughs> but that's different. That's not New York. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I like New York. It's, it's where are fun. you right now? Alabama? I don't want to hurry. Missouri. Brand country music western hub of the United States. <laughs> We were going to record two episodes tonight. 
Yeah. So um, in double, Gundam 0083, um, the Federation has uh, discovered Seema's fleet. Um, and now the Seema's fleet at this point is towing these colonies. Yeah. Well, so before she starts towing them, um, no, they're let's... like they're they start shooting the colonies. Yeah, so they put bombs on the mirrors, and they're trying to figure yeah. out why they would do that. Yeah, and the, they yeah they they basically blow up the mirrors and make them fall off. Um, and we learn before anything else happens that Ko is going to get another Gundam at the Lavian Rose, or how how do they spell, say it in English? La Vienne. Rose, because it's it's Levy and Rose, right? Yeah, it's Levy, uh, Levy and Rose, Levy and Rose. But the English pronunciation versus the Japanese pronunciation is weird. So you got you guys got me watching the English. So like, I don't know what the right pronunciation is anymore. I, I thought they got the pronunciation fine. I mean, uh, there was there's like one time they said it and it sounded weird to me. It was like they actually said La Vienne rose or something like oh that. like they put two words together that they shouldn't have yeah um yeah it's, it's yeah um but yeah so um so co finds out he's going to get another gundam um or at least test pilot one or whatever like they don't make it completely clear but he's he's under the expectation he's going to get it um and then in in the process of doing this nina figures out that um, the reason they're blowing up these colony mirrors is because they are going to drop these colonies on Luna. Um, and the colonies are basically going to um, blow uh, ram into each other because of the gravitational well. They don't have the 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 solar panels anymore to power themselves. Yeah, they start um, they start like counter spinning until they tap. Yeah, and so. The colonies will collide, and then one will be drawn into the gravity well of the moon, um, and and basically blow up. Um, what city was it? They were going to blow up Von Braun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the Albion cannot reach the colony in time, or the it can't reach Von Braun in time. So they're basically like, eh, fuck it. We're just gonna synapse is like we're gonna go to we're gonna go and get Unit Three yep. because the moon's fucked anyways. Yep, and uh, there's a there's a nice little shot to close the episode out. It's an homage to Double O Seventy Nine Mobile Suit Gundam, where the colony at this point is still just moving through space, but it's they've got the camera angled where it looks like it's like dropping, and it's got the Gilkooks in front of it. It's it's like a almost dead on recreation of the shot at the beginning of uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, where the colony's falling with the Zaku's in front. It's just with you know different yeah. Stuff. So basically they're escorting the colony at this point to make sure like the Federation doesn't blow it up or anything along those lines. And um, I don't think they mention, or they might mention it basically like there's, there's not much of a way to, to redirect it. But I think, I think the talk about redirecting the colonies and everything happens more in episodes 11 and 12, which we'll yep. get to in the next episode. So the there's, they've got these two colonies that they do this to. And in the manga, they make it nice and clear that one of them's going to head towards earth and the other one's going to head towards the moon. And then in the manga, when it gets close to the moon, the guy on Von Braun just blows up the fuck out of it with some big laser. And he's yeah. like, fuck you. Um, so in the show, 
a different path is taken, which we'll discuss next time. So what happens to the second colony in the show? Does it just float away? There's no mention of it whatsoever. And, and as you were talking about that, I was like, my, I was just like going through and scraping my brain and there's, there's literally no mention of it. I, my, my guess is, is that um, if, if I was going to use, like, if I was going to try to extrapolate something, I would say the two colonies hitting each other, one gets on a collision course to earth or to the moon. And the other one just kind of like blows off somewhere else. And is going to just like, you know, as, as we have established, I have very little understanding of how space works, but my assumption would be that they would hit each other and then just go boink in opposite directions. I'm, I'm like, like miming what they're doing. So you guys are obviously going to see that, but uh, they just kind of boink off into opposite directions. So it's just, into the like fucking nebulous ether of space forever. But, but I don't think they would do that in space. I think you would, you would have one that was going to hit at one place and after getting caught in the gravity well, and the other one would hit in a very similar place after being caught in a gravity well, maybe like hundreds of miles off, but still like you're, you're not talking about huge shocks here. You're talking about variations of like a, a the same degree. Well, they're going to be once they hit, and then so the the what we're made to believe is that they're just going to collide, and then the force is going to make them shoot away from each other. Right. Uh, convenient, but um, like they wouldn't get entangled in any way. But uh, anyway, we'll just. Say I would assume that they got locked together and would land together. Yeah, we'll just say okay. All right, fine. Um, you're going to have them going away from each other with the same force. Okay, we don't get to suspend Newton's laws yet. Uh, and so one of them's going towards the moon, and I, it would just have to be dumb luck for the other to then be on a course that would take it away from Earth's gravity. Right. Uh, which, okay, you know, if that's what we're going to go with, then, then that's fine. Maybe that thing went and hit Mars or something. <laughs> they just, <laughs> just like floated harmlessly somewhere. Maybe either went and hit the sun or something. Seema flea just yeets a colony, and they're like, eh, "Whatever, <laughs> where it goes." Yeah, yeah. So I I, I like the uh, episodes nine and ten, like the narrative a little bit better than eight. Well, a lot better than eight. Eight sucked, um, and Burning's death was unnecessary. Um, yeah, I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, like the whole for me, like the whole burning plot doesn't it just seems unnecessary. Like there's no reason for it. Yeah. Like there's clearly, he, a, he a, finds out about operation stardust and then dies. But like, you could just have him. like, if you needed to write a character off, like I don't just think have him go into the background because he doesn't really provide any of the characters, any sort of motivation. I think they were trying to give that like, like sense of dread of like, Oh God, it's so bad. It's so bad, but they won't know. Like I don't know. I think it was just like for like a a forced attempt at making it more dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It it just I don't know. Yeah, I agree though. It was a. Uh, I see what they were going for. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, I like episode nine a good bit. Episode ten to me is just goes off of its coattails, and we get a pretty cool fight with a really anticlimactic ending, uh, and. Newsflash, Zeon uses colonies at 11. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into 
like the the later half of episode ten. Basically, after the fight between the GPO one and two, um, it's just meandering towards filling its allotted time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so yeah, the first part where you're riding the coattails of the good episode before is all right, but you know, and this is, I think, to me, like after that, the show from that point is just going through the motions of its different beats, and it doesn't recover for me after this. Uh, it does what it has to do, and and that's that. Yeah, I mean, I th- we'll talk about it more. I think there's there's bright flashes that I enjoy watching. Of course. Um, oh, but, yeah. The, but yeah, I, I generally agree with you. Like, the narrative is not as good at this point. Like, it feels like they had something to do, and now they're doing it. Yeah, I, I could not find... I, you know, I could have sworn that for years there was gossip on the internet about why the director changes, but it's gone. If it was ever there, it ain't there now. <laughs> yeah, I, I never found anything, and it wasn't as dramatic as like somebody dying. <laughs> True. Yeah. No, I I feel like this with a lot of the different series, it just always, almost every single one of them to me feels like they get to you know three four episodes out, and then they're like, oh, we have how many left? Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's something they definitely need to work on. <laughs> yeah, well, Steema is a chess piece that I don't know. Like they're, they've. It's almost like they've got a few too many things going on. Uh, you've got the Axis fleet. You've got the remainder of the Federation fleet. You've got the Albion kind of acting on its own. We're about to have the little Vian Rose and Anaheim, and that's a different Anaheim from the dudes on the moon. And then you got the Sema fleet, and then you got you know Jabro Federation, and then the Titans Federation. Ugh. Gundam female antagonists are written very poorly, in my opinion. There's like the protagonists are written pretty poorly too, but the antagonists are written really, they're all, they're really all written badly. By, they're all written by one angry, depressed, eighty-year-old Japanese man. <laughs> none of that. None of that equals well-rounded female antagonist. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, I, I thought uh, Nana Trinity was was a fun kind of crazy. <laughs> oh God! When we get to Z, uh, Double Zeta, man, <laughs> that chick, the, the heavy metal chick, peak eighties. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for following along with us. Next time we will cover episodes. 11, 12, and 13. And then the following episode, we will cover the uh, the manga that we have not covered thus far. So feel free to uh, reach out to us on Twitter at New Type Flash Pod or follow us uh, and post on our uh, subreddit post on Mobile Suit Gundam or Gundam. Uh, until then, thanks for checking in with us and uh, have a good one. Bye. Later.